Welcome to the Ask Brian Podcast Radio Show, where you'll hear from some of the most successful founders and CEOs of businesses and startups, sharing their best advice for success, and even some stories on how their mistakes actually make them even more successful. Now, here are your hosts, Brian and Tracy. Welcome, welcome, welcome. You're listening to the Ask Brian Radio Show on KHS 1220 and 98.1 FM. So, we have a very special guest today, but before we get into that, everybody always asks, what is the Ask Brian Show? Why is it on the air? What, what are you doing? And why do you spell it with an E? Most people tell me when they were growing up, they spelled it with an B-R-I-A-N or B-R-Y-A-N, and they, not, they have no clue why I would spell it with an E. People always want to know, why would you spell Brian with an E? Now, the S. Brian Show is a business show, but I wanted to ask our very, very special engineer that begins with an E, so we're taking that E away, why do we use an E for S. Brian? Patrick, you're on! Uh, I'm on! How's it going? Do you, you have a little, uh, <laughs> little big drum roll? Dun, 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 dun. We could just make our own. Anyways, there's a number of okay. E's that have to do with the S. Brian radio show. You took away the engineer part, which... Was always my favorite. Still always is my favorite. But are you the engineer? For right now? Currently not, but I am still an engineer. That would be our engineer, Emily. And Emily's with an E? Emily does start with an E. It it was a requirement to be on the show. This is true. We're only looking for people with E's. (laughs) Uh, Outside of that, we have excellence, because uh, the Aspirin show has nothing but excellence in it. And also... The Bill and Ted. Oh, excellent adventures. Dude. Excellent, dude. Yes. Uh, outside of that, there was empathy. What's that? Putting yourself in someone else's shoes, not literally, but figuratively. Well, I wear a size 9. Your shoe is much bigger. So I am a size 13. <laughs> no, that's the problem. You could never fit in my shoes. Oh, my God. He said not literally, but figuratively. What <laughs> Thank about you, I am a lawyer. I'm a lawyer. Everything is, is very literal. <laughs> uh, outside of that, we, <sighs> we have experts because everybody that appears on the Ask Brian show happens to be an expert in their field. What are you an expert in? Engineering. I mean, <laughs> it, it, it works. Hey, I'm, it? I'm so sorry. I'm just sorry. Like, I don't even know what to say. I, I don't even feel like I need to accept responsibility for this, but it's just, I'm sorry. I'm an expert in laughing. Yeah, apparently. Making others laugh. You're an expert in something. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's for sure. Remember, we're live on the radio. We do have FCC requirements. Go ahead. Uh, other ones we have are experience because everyone has a, a lot of experience in their in their field especially our guests what's your experience engineering and communicating yeah okay i agree yeah i got gotcha. you in case anyone doesn't see him i'm giving the little okay they can definitely yeah, yeah. see well only we on facebook on camera yeah. well, that's, on true. Facebook. that's true that's <laughs> true what you can't see is someone else giving you a different figure, finger. Well, that's because he's number one. It just happens to be a different finger. Oh, come on. <laughs> Outside of that, there happens to be, before I get to the two, the new one actually is education uh, is Ian. That's our newest one. And why do we do that? Because everyone should be educated. I don't know. It's because each week we try to educate that our yes. audience. Indeed. Something, something about business to teach them. And you know what? There's something about education that leads me to the next two. Is uh, It leads everybody with some enthusiasm and excitement. Woo, woo, woo. Hey, I think that covers it. Am, am I missing any, Tracy? I think I got everything. Well, right now I feel like you're well, missing actually, ear, um, <laughs> earlobe busting. 
Well, the big one is the big one is we have another E today, and that is our special guest. Her name is Jane Hansen, and she has a very very big E because she won an Emmy. Hey, oh, we got a new one. Oh yeah. Okay, yep, that trumps every E we just said. <laughs> True, it does. We're not playing bridge, so there is no trump cards. Anyway, without any further ado. A-D-I-E-U. And why do I like that word? Because every single letter minus the D is a vowel. And isn't that cool? Oh, oh very cool. Oh. <laughs> and okay, Jane, I'm really sorry. <laughs> we're gonna have to say we're gonna have to say a special we're gonna have to say a special goodbye to Patrick because he's got a little other functioning that he's got to work on right now. But we do have Emily, and we certainly will. I'll be listening. Be Don't worry. Her questions and getting her more in the loop. But without any further ado, we do have. Our co-host, Tracy, and we have a very special guest, Jane Hansen. Okay. And, yeah. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Well, I, I tried to do it like Sam Kinnian from The uh, Screamer, but he's not like here right now. So a um, couple questions, Jane. <laughs> now, that yes. you, uh, now uh, are you going to be calling your publicist and saying, what did I get myself into? Or I don't know. But here are we are. <laughs> It's a good thing you got the redial button to flash right away. You have a very interesting background, Jane. Now, uh, this is a business show, and for the viewers who don't know you, let's get a little background. Um, and we don't need to go back to you know high school days, but in your business career, um, how did you begin your career, and, and what, what industry are you in? You don't want me to start with the day I was born? Oh, uh, well, anyway. <laughs> well, first of all, it's a one-hour show, and second of all, I, I, w- let's not get into the age issue here. <laughs> oh, thank the Lord. I like that. Appreciate that. I um, am a New Yorker, so, so I, can, I can tuss with you as well. Go ahead. Of course you can, because um, <laughs> I've spent most of my career in New York working for the NBC Network. NBC. Um, you did it much better than me. Howard Stern and taught me that. I, Go ahead. He did, and Howard is quite the person to have in a radio show, trust me, because <laughs> if you don't listen to his shows, you should. You should. You can't believe the things he says. He's, he's, and actually, the funny thing about Howard is he's so different than his show. I mean, he's such a nice guy. And on his show, you think, ooh, I'd be afraid to have dinner with him. But the truth is, he's a really nice guy. Anyway, I wish Tracy says the same thing about me. Was. Go ahead. No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, my God. (laughs) Guys, you have too much fun. Yeah, we do. (laughs) After 5 (laughs) o'clock? It's it's Thursday afternoon live. 5 o'clock somewhere. (laughs) 5 o'clock somewhere, baby. So I... I really became an adult at the at, at NBC in New York, and I was hired because I have a degree in broadcast journalism. I grew up in the Midwest, and back then, believe it or not, they didn't really want people with New York accents very much. They wanted people with those very flat kind of accents where you can't tell where they're from. So I'm from Minnesota, and so they hired me and brought me to New York, which was quite the experience because I grew up in a town that had no stoplights. So... It was just slightly different. Anyway, I became a reporter and an anchor and had my own show and did all of this for NBC in New York for 27 years. And it was honestly one of the best jobs, probably the best job I've ever had in my entire life. You watch history being made before your eyes. As you know, Brian, growing up in New York, there's a lot that happens in that town. They call it the city that never sleeps for a reason. We were told there's a 
a news story on every corner, and I'll tell you, there was. You take a camera outside, and you never knew what was going to happen. So it was truly, truly amazing, and I learned so much from being in the broadcast business, interviewing hundreds of thousands of people, spending every day. Every day was like it was a brand-new job because you never knew what was going to happen in the news that day. And I anchored a show called Today in New York, which preceded the Today Show for 18 years, which meant I got up, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, at 3.20 a.m. every day. So late? 3.20 a.m. I heard Not 3.19 and not 3.21. (laughs) (laughs) The worst part were were, were big holiday nights, like uh, New Year's Eve. Sometimes, of course, because news never takes a holiday, I'd work on New Year's Day and I'd be riding into the office at Brockville Center when I would see people that were not even ready to go home yet on the streets. That's where you kind of wondered, what am I doing? But, and Rock, Rock Center was a great place to work. What an amazing, iconic, wonderful building, and it's everything that everybody ever says it was, until the tree shows up, and then you feel like Grinch because of all the tourists and that sort of thing. But at any rate, so that's where I got really my business acumen, because when you're in the broadcast business, you meet a lot of different people, you have a lot of deadlines, you have to learn how to talk to the entire world, you're constantly judged every single day based upon the ratings. Sometimes we'd laugh and say we're only as good as our last rating book or our last, and we got the daily ratings, we got off the air at 6.58, and at 6.59, somebody walked in the door with the ratings, and you'd go... How'd we do? How'd we do? How'd we do? So it was the kind of business where you knew you had to be likable. People had, the, they, they turned you on or off. It was as simple as that. If they didn't like what you said, you were gone. So I think it taught you a lot about how to, how to be appealing, about how to be authentic, how to be genuine, which is more important than ever in business these days. And it really, it, it taught me so much about the way the world works and watching people in business because I did a lot of I did a lot of work in the in the you know in the business area. Fast forward, you know, to the kind of the end of my reign there. And one other thing I want to say about business before I go into the next phase of my life is I did it I had a show of my own that was called Jane's New York. And the premise of the show, and I really wanted to start it on the heels of nine eleven because I wanted to make New York become alive again because it was so devastated after that. And so we started to do the show to celebrate all things New York. And the theme of the show was one subject. So we went underground New York and above New York. And we did a story about dogs of New York and restaurants. And, and do you know that wonderful park that's called the High Line? Um, um, which is, yeah, you know what I mean? Yep. And I also know Bryant yep. Park and a couple other parks. Right. So, But the High Line was actually... It was an elevated railroad track, and they were going to rip it down. And there were a couple of guys that got this great inspiration. Why not turn it into a park? Because there were no parks in that area way on the west side of Manhattan. And so we did a show on it before it actually was ever created. And we wanted, one of the Emmys was because of that show, because we actually helped, in a certain sense, bring it to fruition because we brought a lot of public attention to it. So that was really pretty cool. So you watched, you know, that got you to show how government and civic duty and pride and aspiration and dreams and all of that could come true. But at any rate, when, um, oh, and the other thing I was going to say is I also created a lot of partnerships, like with the American Museum of Natural History, and I went on a dinosaur dig with them to the Gobi Desert of Mongolia because 
that, you know, we found a way to develop a partnership where we had a production team together and everything that went along with it. So I think creating partnerships can be a really important part of, of being a successful business person. I think that's a really excellent way of thinking about how can I do what I want to do when I might not be able to do it on my own. So I like that part of it. But then I created this business that I do now, which is all about teaching people how to communicate. And my aha moment came when people would come off the set in the last program I did and they'd say, I didn't get to talk about what I wanted to talk about. And I'd think, gosh, I led them down this merry little garden path about talking about what I thought the audience was interested in, but they never brought it back to what they were there for. Maybe it was to sell a book or to talk about a project or to talk about some, you know, whatever it was. And I thought, wow, I know how to do this. I can teach them how to tell their story in an effective way where people listen. And that's what I do now. Well, how does that work when you don't have control of the interview? Well, you can certainly choreograph it. little example. So let's say I've come in this show to talk about, and I really want to talk about a book I've written, and you start to talk about a whole bunch of other things. What I can say is, Brian, that's such a great question, and I love talking about how important television was. But what I really think we should talk about today is this book that I've written that, re- that really will relate all of to- that to you in an understandable way. Let me tell you about chapter one. But it's all about pivoting and making sure that you can control the interview. And as long as you're interesting and can tell great stories, the audience is interested and the interview is in- interviewer is interested and the host is interested. And the same holds for an audience of any kind. If you're giving a speech or you're making a presentation or you're emceeing something or whatever it is you're doing, you have to learn how to get it back on track so you're telling your message, but your message has to be really interesting. So do you coordinate that ahead of time typically, or is that, or it just it depends on the interview? Well, when I'm working with people, I spend a lot of time working with them to get their message right. And most people don't even know what their message is. They're, they'll have like nine or ten of them. But the reality is, if you're giving a speech or you're doing an interview or you're doing whatever it is, you only have time usually for one or two messages. So you got to make sure you give them and you kind of repeat it and you make it really palatable and you make it fun and you make it interesting. Well, definitely interesting. I think that's the biggest key, right? If you're interesting, yeah, that takes away everything. It doesn't matter. You know, somebody may have tuned in today to learn something about X. But if they're interested in what's going on, they're going to continue to listen. Let me ask you a question. It's kind of, uh, you started out in, the, in a career that was dominated by male anchors, I believe, all right? And you had to talk about <laughs> not even a pivot. I mean, to be able to make it in the world back then, at that time, I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe you had Barbara Walters and people like that, but there weren't too many out there. So how, how were you no. able to navigate that? Well, so the very first job I ever had was in Sioux Falls, South Dakota on television. I didn't stay there very long, but I was hired and I was the only woman they had in their newsroom, which meant I did the news. I was a reporter. I was an anchor. I was a producer. I shot my own footage. And back then we would take, uh, you put the, and cameras were really big then. And you take the camera and you put it up the top of a tripod and I'd run around to the front of it and do, you know, when you see key reporters hold the mic and they do that little stand up. And I'd run around to the front of the camera and hope I had the angle right so you could see my head. And then I'd shoot that. And then we'd run back to the station and edit the film or edit the video. And so 
you know, I did everything. I think they thought one woman was enough. Now I know we're multitaskers, right, Tracy? But, (laughs) (laughs) But that's a lot of multitasking. And I remember thinking at the time, why aren't there any other women? And there was nobody to kind of commiserate with, with kind of women things. And I had to, I really had to be on my own with that. But at the same time, I learned a lot. And I mean, I was too young and dumb to know the difference, I think. But when I got to NBC, there were women that were there, but I never, I never had a woman boss until, oh my God, so I'd been there for like 20, maybe 20 years. And then I had a news director and I remember walking into the bathroom and she's in there and I'm like, oh my God, this is what men have had their whole careers. They've had been able to talk to their boss in the bathroom. She <laughs> was, was like, wow. So yes, I think. It was different, but it was everywhere. It wasn't like every other place had lots of women in the broadcast business then. There weren't a lot of women anywhere. And so we had to to find our own way. And I do think that we were much more competitive as women then because there were fewer spots for them than we are today. And it's a whole different ballgame. I work with a lot of women. I love working with women. I help empowering them. I help being a mentor. I've mentored a lot of females in my life. I love being in a place where I can truly help them get ahead. Not to the detriment of working with men or anything else. I just don't want them to have some of the same experiences I did. That's it. Well, you're definitely a true pioneer. So, you know, you talked a lot about the business side, but viewers don't really understand the business side. I mean, mostly when you think about a, a production, you're only looking at, okay, Here's the show. Here's what, what you, the content of the show. But there's a business aspect to it. What are some of the business aspects that you've learned as an anchor? Well, first of all, I mean, unless a television show makes money, it ain't going to last. And so what became very important was to make sure that our ratings went up because they charged for commercials based upon the ratings. And in today's world, there's also other things such as social media, there's the digital aspects of it. I mean, it's multi-platform now for the broadcast business. But back then, it was it was really what were the ratings and what did you get for a show and how much could you charge for the commercials. So we learned, I mean, there, there are so many tricks to it that people doesn't, don't even realize. For example, the average half an hour newscast is really only 22 minutes long because there's eight minutes allowed for commercials and for promotion. And so we would have to accommodate that. And I remember I had one boss who was a ratings genius. And so he would say things like, you cannot take a commercial break until seven minutes and 15 seconds into the half an hour or even the hour of a show. Because if you do, then you get credited for the whole 15 minutes, each 15 minutes. So you had to be really careful about where you took a commercial breaks. And, you know, you don't want to have an anchor talk too long and that sort of thing. You also, you know, there were very fine lines when you were a reporter or an anchor between how you had to watch what you were, you know, doing and saying because you couldn't cross certain lines. So they tried to keep business and journalism very separate. I think those lines have become very blurred now, and I think that's something that's happened. And then we had a lot of community involvement. We'd go out into the communities a lot to, to I mean, I did a, a ton of emceeing and hosting and that sort of thing, which was all very much about enticing people to watch the station. I mean, obviously, there's, we felt a certain commitment to give back as well. 
But at the same time, the more that you were out in the community, the better that it became for people to like you and want to watch the station. But we all knew you know, at the end of the day that our job was to make sure that people watched us. And that was the real business of broadcasting. There's also, you also have to represent the community too in terms of the number of people, the kinds of people you have on the air. And old, young, whatever their ethnicity is, maybe there's geography involved, etc. There's even There's even a business to thinking about what you're wearing. I mean, the whole thing is, it's not that it's contrived, but there's a lot of things that are not, it's a, there's an illusion to it. There really is, when you think about the business of broadcasting. Well, so that's a very good question. Uh, do people get paid to wear certain things on a, on, a, on a show? No. No. It's not that they get paid. Some places, some stations, some people have written into their contracts that their clothing will be paid for. Because I want you to think about this. And it's especially important for women getting back to that whole notion of women are treated differently. I had a guy that I worked with at WNBC-TV in New York who every single, he had a uniform. He wore, in the summer, he wore khaki pants, a linen or cotton blazer, a blue shirt, and then he changed his tie. In the winter, he wore gray pants, a cashmere blue jacket, a blue shirt, and he changed the tie. He wore it every single day and no one ever noticed. The guys could wear the same suit. All they had to do was change up the tie and the shirt. Women had to wear completely different outfits every day because we were looked at for it. And then there was one point in time, I can't remember who was the boss then, but there was a decision made that they didn't want us wearing short, you know, short-sleeved or sleeveless dresses. I, I want you to look at television shows today because everybody's wearing sleeveless dresses or short right? sleeves or whatever. Right? Well, yes, so, I've noticed that myself. <laughs> right. So they told us we couldn't wear them. And, and, one, and, and, at, and at that point, we had no wardrobe budget. So one of the women who was a weathercaster basically said, I'll wear whatever you want me to wear as long as you're paying for it. You're not paying for it. Don't tell me what to wear. And they weren't willing to pay for it. So we just went on and wear whatever we wanted. So, um, <laughs> you started a revolution. Um, Tracy has a whole bunch of questions. She says, I'm hogging the time. So go ahead, Trace. Yeah, I was going to say that actually. You're a mind reader. Uh, so. <laughs> I don't think so, but go ahead. Because you don't know what I'm talking, saying right now. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> no, and I probably don't want to. So, Jane, um, in talking about your specific business now, because I, lo- I love hearing all of your stories about being on television, the broadcast industry, as we shared off the mic, I spent uh, decades in the broadcast radio business, and we share so many of the similar stories, and it's fun to go down memory lane on those. But in the business that you have now, I'd love to hear, like, what was the turning point for you when you were like, I want to start this business, and this is what I want to do? What was your aha moment for that? A couple of things. One was I was tired of deadlines, because... In the television, in any broadcast business, there are deadlines. You have to be there when the show's on the air. They're not waiting for you. The second thing is big stories always happen on the Friday before you were taking a vacation. It was like, I don't know why, but it always was. News never took a holiday. (laughs) I mean, it's just crazy, right? So I really wanted to have my life back. For a long time when I did those early morning newscasts, when I got up at 3.20 a.m., I went to bed at 8 o'clock at night, 
on weekends, I'd try to stay up late, and literally, I'd be out at dinner, and my head would fall on the plate by about 9.30 at night, because just, <laughs> you live a life completely opposite of other people. So, I mean, I didn't do that forever. I did it for 18 years. I had, you know, I had a show of my own, and then I did an, another celebrity filled show. So it wasn't like I did that forever, but to this day, I have sleeping issues. But I'm just, I felt like my life wasn't my own, and I really, really wanted to take that back. And the reason I, I really wanted to stop doing the early morning news when I did was when my daughter was, got to be about, I don't know, 12 or 13, and I realized she was staying up later than me And in New York City. Can you imagine what that kid could have done? I mean, seriously, uh, I would never have known. So I just decided that for, you know, for all those reasons, it was good for me to try something else. But I really believe that I could help people. I saw from all of you know, the people that I interviewed, I saw from the people that I watched giving presentations from all, this whole business world, I saw how desperately it was needed for people to be good communicators. And there are so many that aren't, and they don't take the time to fix it. And it's just like, you do anything else. You want to play golf? You go, you go take a lesson to figure out how to swing the club. You want to play piano? You do that. You want to become a great, you know, a, a super, really super good cook? You might go to a culinary school. I mean, you want to become a photographer, you might invest in some lessons somehow. In every other field, even, you know, for work, people will say, oh, I'm going to get a business degree or I'm going to, I'm going to go back to school and take a course in, you know, something that will enhance my resume. But very few people think about actually working on how they communicate. And yet, communication is the key part of almost anything we do any day, either be it in business, be it with our family be it with our friends, we're always communicating. And if you could, with a very, with some really simple, simple lessons, you can become so much better than you are. And when I realized that and realized what was missing and realized I had a gift for it, I wanted to go out there and spread the word. And nothing makes me happier than when somebody has an aha moment. I mean, everybody's got an expertise of some sort and they should be out there sharing it but many people are too afraid. And do you know something else? There are all these, do you know, there's a, it's called glossophobia. Glossophobia is fear of public speaking. And 78% of the people in this country have a very severe case of it at one time or another, where they've got to do something really important, important to their career, important to a promotion, important to selling what they're trying to sell. And they get brain fog and they, they completely screw it up. So it's a big deal. In fact, Jerry Seinfeld used to tell this joke that at a funeral, more people would rather be in the coffin than give the eulogy. So, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right, exactly. But I'm curious, too, because um, video is such a big marketing tool right now. I mean, podcasting's really hot in the audio arena. Um, people are also releasing audio and video podcasts. Uh, the pandemic uh, pivoted a lot of people from in-person speaking events to video events. Did you pivot your business during the pandemic or and how has the pandemic affected your ability to run your business in terms of the training sessions? Well, I went all virtual, of course, but then the whole world was virtual. And actually, business, at, you know, obviously, like whatever the date was, March 13, 2020, I mean, just like everybody else, all of a sudden, I had no business. But what happened very quickly is people started to realize that they were going to have to conduct themselves over this thing called Zoom or Google Hangouts or whatever they were using. 
and they weren't sure how to do it. And so at first, you know, people were like, I'll just put my pajama bottoms on and some kind of a T-shirt and I'm good to go. But then we realized it was going to be a lot longer than we thought. And there had to become a professionalism to it. And that's where I really was able to contribute. Because first of all, I could use all the things I learned in television. You can translate that to Zoom very easily. And secondly, all the same communication skills could be used. The only thing that wasn't quite as intense as from my regular you know, in-person training was full body language, because I do a lot about our body language. So we're only seeing our, you know, our heads and very top part of our torso. But there's still a lot that that shows about body language, and I could really teach people how to do that. Also, it became imperative that we learned how to connect. And at first, that was difficult for people because they didn't know what to do. You know, I'm not walking into somebody's office or meeting them for lunch or, you know, at a conference room with all my peers. Now I've got to do it over this thing I'm uncomfortable with where I got to look into this camera and and, and I don't know how to connect. So I was able to, to use that too because showing vulnerability and compassion and, and all those things have never been more important than when we went through that especially the beginning stages of the horrible pandemic where people didn't know how to talk to one another. Like, what do I say? What do I do? So the trainings became even more important than ever. I can only imagine. And one thing I've noticed as a producer of podcasts is that people, it, the, the, the barrier to entry in creating your own content through audio and video because of the technology and the things that are now tools that are now accessible for us, is that there are a lot of people who are getting into these situations where they're hosting a certain show or they're doing Q&A interviews and they've never had any formal media training. So they have all of the tools available to them to easily create and distribute the content, but the content that they're putting out there is can be considered somewhat amateur if they don't have a professional like you who can help navigate that path. That is so true. Oh, my God. I've listened to some of those podcasts. And so here's the trick, which any good interviewer like you guys know, is to listen. It's all about listening. Because if you don't listen, you know, you may want to throw every question you have out the, out the window because somebody's just said something so amazing. You've got to know more about that. And you don't care about your regular questions. Who cares? Because what you want to do it any podcast, in any interview, in anything, is to make it engaging, make it interesting, tell people something they never knew before, give them a great story, do it in a way, and here's where the body language stuff comes in, because body language is also about your voice and, you know, your gestures, which really help us tell a story better because it brings emphasis, even when you can't see my face, you can't see my body, etc. I'm using my hands right now as I'm talking to you. <laughs> I am, and so are you, I'll bet. But so, I bet, so yes. <laughs> it's really about listening. It's the key to everything. And the more we listen, the more that we can figure out how to take that story to the next step. And that's the key. So every podcaster out there has got to do that. They're so busy with their little little list of questions. I mean, sometimes somebody will, will say something, and then I'm astonished the podcaster doesn't follow up on it like they'll say, well, I really didn't mean to kill my mother. And, the, you know, the next question on the podcaster's list is, so tell me about um, that. Oh, my wrote. God, you're so right. You're so-, <laughs> so the people that were listening, okay, hopefully that's everyone. We learned that Jean, that's a good skill, by the way. Jean <laughs> has a lot of knowledge about body language. 
and we'd like Jane to go over three different body language concepts and explain what they mean. Are you ready? I'm waiting. <laughs> and, and, and Screamer is not All one right. of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, the first thing that is really crucial about body language is eye contact because eyes are the gateway to the soul. So, I want you to think about when you are talking to somebody, if it's, you know, one-on-one, make sure that you have very direct eye contact. I don't want you to stare, but I want you to keep make it so that they know you're listening to them. And by the way, there are lots of little other cues. Like, for example, if you look up and to the left a lot, and these some guys at the FBI told me this, it means you're lying. And if you do if your eyes are darting all around the room, it means you really don't know the answer to something or you're not interested. So think of your eye contact. It's an amazing way of getting people to like you and respect you. And likability is really, really, really crucial always, but especially in today's world. So then when we talk about our voice and how we're speaking, which is also part of body language, the most under, yeah, underutilized tool we have is something very simple. I just did it. It's called a pause. And it's the length of time it takes to tap your foot. And what do pauses do? Well, they show that you're brave because nobody likes, well, especially in a radio show, dead air, but even in a conversation. So we always want to rush to fill that air. And we'll use crutch words like, ah, so, you know, like, "Mm." the latest I'm hearing is, so, yeah, no. So we're saying, yeah, no, before we even begin our answer, which sounds really absurd. But a pause, yeah, exactly, a pause, a pause makes you, makes people sit up and pay attention and it makes your confidence level go up and people think that you are far more confident even if you're not. So that's one, you know, one thing you can do. And the other thing that I like a lot when, especially if you're making a presentation, uh, this isn't so much for interviews, but it's when you're making a presentation is to have some movement. I don't like having podiums because podiums put a barrier between you and the audience. So what I like to talk about is some strategic movement. And you make the movement, you don't really walk and talk a lot because then people on one side of the room or the audience can't hear you or even in a conference room. But you walk a few, you talk a couple of steps, you stop, and then you make a, you make a statement. And then when you're done with that statement, you move again. These are the kinds of things that keep an audience absolutely engaged because they don't know what you're doing next. It's kind of like when you were in school and the teacher would be looking around or they'd make a statement or maybe they'd move and you knew you better pay attention because you were going to be asked that question next. That's what happens when you have some strategic movement. It's all about keeping your audience engaged. So there were three. I got a million. You want more? Well, you definitely kept us engaged. (laughs) Well, I'll say that. Well, you've got two minutes left. So, Tracy, do you have something that you wanted to ask? And if we have more time, then we'll come back for the third. Yes. Yeah, so I'm so glad you brought up the pause because it's incredibly important for, especially like we were saying, like newbies to this type, these new types of platforms. But it's so hard to create that pause. So what would be a deeper level tip to someone who was a host in creating an interview to basically implement that pause? Like Tracy. So let's just say you're doing an interview and you've got a, you're making a really important point. And instead of rushing the words together, 
stop at the end of a sentence. A pause is only the length of time it takes to tap your foot. So I'm not talking about a, a long time. It's just quick. But it's enough to make people take notice. So think about, and, and sometimes, like, sometimes you can, if you've got a script that you're using or something that's really embedded in your head, plan it. You can also plan smiles. And by the way, a smile is one of the most important things you can do as long as you're not talking about some awful subject. KHS 1220-98.1 FM. Thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in to the Ask Brian Radio Show. You can listen to us every Thursday on KTHS AM 1220 and FM 98.1 or via Facebook Live or anytime wherever you listen to your podcasts. Visit askbrian.com to join the conversation and ask us your business questions and we'll answer them on our next episode. That's askbrien.com.